Let's start off part three with a question. Should we bring up religion, politics, and social issues in the ESL classroom? Should our classrooms promote political activism and new ways of thinking? Or is that not the role of the language classroom? These questions have been debated in our field for decades. In 1968, the Brazilian educator Paulo Freire published his book Pedagogy of the Oppressed. In this book, he expands upon his philosophy of education called critical pedagogy, which outlines a democratic relationship between the teacher and the student. Rather than teachers being seen as the possessors of knowledge, whose job it is to transmit correct ways of knowing to students, who are seen as blank slates, critical pedagogy proposes that the learner is the creator of knowledge, alongside the teacher, and it is the teacher's job to discuss social issues in class and to arrive at solutions together alongside the student. In this view, the student already possesses knowledge due to their experiences and place in society, and because of their unique backgrounds and experiences, they have invaluable class contributions. Critical pedagogy uses the education system as a means of exposing and fighting the realities of sexism, racism, and discrimination in general in society, with the student as the vehicle of change. This way of seeing the purpose of the education system definitely has faced and continues to face backlash. Not all educators believe that the classroom content should plant the seed for political and social activism. However, for the ESL teacher, practicing critical pedagogy does not only have the purpose of creating social change, it is also a means of connecting with our students. Especially given that our classrooms are often so diverse, with students belonging to ethnic, linguistic, and religious minorities, Practicing critical pedagogy allows our students to feel heard and valued because we're asking them about their opinions on social issues, what their personal experiences have been surrounding these social issues, and what they think should be done. In part three of our series on critical pedagogy, I am joined by Amani, a graduate of the TESOL B.Ed. at Concordia University. Amani is a huge proponent of critical pedagogy and is here to discuss why we should practice it, particularly here in our home province of Quebec. Amani is a visible minority here in Quebec. She is a Muslim woman who wears the hijab. She understands and has experienced firsthand the political and social issues that we deal with here in our province, and specifically in Montreal and the surrounding areas. In this episode, we'll be talking specifically about historical linguistic tension between French and English, political bills such as Bill 21, which bans public servants, such as teachers, from wearing religious symbols, and the treatment of visible minorities in the education system in general, teachers as well as students. Now let's make it clear that we're here to speak candidly. Some listeners may have different perspectives on things that will be said in this episode, and that is perfectly okay. In fact, that's part of critical pedagogy. We're here to problematize issues and discuss, not dogmatically present ways of thinking. So, let's get to the conversation. Hi, 
Mani, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited for this. It's an important topic. I'm so happy you're here. You are so knowledgeable and so insightful. If you listeners are not aware, Amani was actually featured on another podcast episode all about internships, where she gave all of her insight and talked about her experiences doing the internships in the Tassel Bied. But now she's here. She's graduated. And Thank you. Yes, I have. And now she's here to talk to us all about critical pedagogy. And this is a topic that she feels quite passionately about. Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely recommend people listening to the internship episode because it definitely afterwards connects to this, especially after graduating. I, I can confirm that uh, critical pedagogy is extremely important within the education system. So with that said, let's get right to it. Let's get to our questions. And of course, if you have not checked out the first two episodes in this series, I highly recommend you do because they will give some great context to what we are talking about today, which is, of course, critical pedagogy, but in the context of here in Quebec. So teaching what is for us at home, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's get right to it. Okay, so Amani, in your view as a graduated TESOL student and a newly novice teacher, why is critical pedagogy even important? And what do the ideas of Paolo Freire mean to you personally? Critical pedagogy is important in the education system and specifically in Quebec because we are still putting these prejudices, stereotypes, and discriminations towards marginalized communities. And in Montreal specifically and Laval, it's extremely diverse. So having the students being able to connect with their professors, connect with their teachers is extremely important because at the end of the day, they are going through things that some of us do not know of. And if you are a teacher and you are white, it has an impact on sometimes your relationship with the student. And now you're like, probably like, how does it have an impact? It's because some students feel like they can't go to a teacher and talk about their problems. But when you are a teacher that are putting it out there, here, guys, this is happening on the news. This is happening on social media. Let's talk about it and find a solution towards this problem. That ends up making the student and teacher bond even stronger because the student's like, oh, she doesn't look like me, but she knows how I feel like. Or she brought the topic up so that all of us can talk about it so I can know that Maybe not everyone thinks like me, but at least I found that one person that does. Now I don't feel alone and I feel better about myself. It's extremely important. We have talked about this, you and I, just casually as friends, you know, in the past, yeah. like the, the importance of rapport building with your students extremely. and how basically if you don't have that foundation of rapport with your students, I mean, forget it, forget it. And so I, I think that practicing critical pedagogy is really woven into rapport building as well. Would you would you agree with this? I yes, 100% creating rapport with your students, which is basically for the people who don't know what rapport is, it's basically having a connection with your students and actually connecting with them as human to human and not as teacher and student is extremely important. Like you need to be compassionate with others. You need to understand them. You need to see their point of view and put yourself on the side of your personal beliefs and uh, mentality and thoughts and opinions and just listen to the students and see how they are. But connecting with them is how you're going to get your students to actually learn. Yeah, and it's, it's teaching the people in front of you and it's respecting them and it's respecting them as individuals. And 
really truly believing in your heart of hearts that they they are the future and they have something so so valuable that needs not just should but needs to be brought to the table i mean i think these are from my interpretations this is really like foundational to critical pedagogy it's it is how we view this relationship between the teacher and the student absolutely and i i think that a lot of teachers and even uh, like student interns really need to understand is that don't like let let your students know that you're reachable and that you're not at this hierarchy that I cannot contact you if I have an issue. Because the second, even if you're crazy busy, just letting them know that you're there and that you have a connection with them is going to make them feel so much more comfortable and actually love your course, love your content. Even if they don't even like grammar, they will come and learn. Why? Because you're teaching it. I want to talk about something that's a little bit taboo, to be honest. So let's uh, let's navigate this a little bit carefully together. But, ready. But- Okay. (laughs) But I think we have to be real in that this is at least my experience. And I'm curious to hear if you relate and also you listeners, if you relate to. So you you go to school and you're surrounded by, you know, like-minded people. You're in this environment where you're sharing ideas about what you want the future to look like and what you want your classrooms to be like. And you're, you're essentially like, I think there's an element of idealism, but it's it's idealism that's needed. It's needed. We need this. I think it's very yeah, common. Yeah, I absolutely know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? So, yeah. so I think, and then from what I've been told and what I've experienced, you then go into the schools kind of with guns blazing. Like, I am going to change things up. I am going to, I'm going to be that teacher that I wanted, Right. You go into the schools and sometimes you are met with other teachers, administration, maybe you're bogged down with workload that it, it, it becomes difficult to actualize these, these hopes and dreams. Is this something, first of all, that am I like talking nonsense here? Is this something you can relate to? And if so, like, what would you say to other teachers who are in that kind of a situation? I think, first of all, this is a very heavy question. And unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of that in the education system. Um, It's great to have like-minded teachers. But I think that since we all, some of us, think the same and prioritize the students over um, grades or uh, students over exams or actual content to teach, I think coming together as teachers is really important. And even that, people right now are going to listen and be like, yeah, right. But um, I think it's really important. Um, having meetings about fixing things that are in the education system is really important. Co- contacting school boards or counselors in order to say, hey, this is an issue happening at my school. We need to talk about it because this is not normal. It might have been normal before, but I don't think that it's normal for us to have it now. And it's not normal that... I'm in my beginning 20s and I had teachers when I was in high school fighting this. And now I'm a teacher and I, I'm fighting something that has been fought 20 years ago, let's say. So I definitely think talking about it, uh, coming up with solutions and critical pedagogy, when we go back to it, is there to have these types of tough discussions because critical pedagogy is not just for our our students, it's also within the education school board or centre service now for us to, to fix these types of things. Some teachers, when it comes to wanting to want change within the education systems, uh, have a hard time giving out knowledge, let's say. And I'm talking about knowledge that's considered more political or social. Why? Because they are afraid 
they have so much knowledge, but they are afraid of giving that knowledge because they're afraid of risking their career or crossing lines or having students say things that are maybe sometimes out of line or maybe that are, the other students do not agree with or even the teacher might not agree with, but it might backfire on the teacher because afterwards the administration, which is the principal and all of that will come and say, um, you put the students in that position to say these things and now we are all in trouble for it. But this is where the school board comes in and needs to change a few things concerning what it, what teachers can and cannot say. So talking about social issues needs to be normalized because at the moment, everyone, especially teachers who are like me, are sometimes on the fence of, can I say this to my students? Can I talk about this to my students? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I risking my career for this? I remember my own teacher training. I remember being explicitly told, don't touch these subjects. Like, don't go there. Like, I, I remember that. That was explicitly said to me. And then that never pans out because that's obviously like what's interesting and what keeps people engaged. And we're in, and, you know, and you said this before once when we were just talking, like that this is a language class. Like we want to speak and we want to exchange ideas. This is, this is the point. And this is what people are engaged in. So many teachers, so many teachers that I know and that I've spoken to have so much knowledge concerning social issues that are happening. And even between us teachers, like we'll talk about it, but it's like, what we're talking about, students are also interested in because we're all on social media. We're all seeing what's happening around the world. The problem is here is that we have so many issues happening around the world. And us adults, whether teachers or any adult, basically, we all talk about it. The only difference between a, a, an adult and a student or a teacher and a student is literally the life experience and age. So the main issue here is, is the fact that so many teachers have so much knowledge, but are afraid to start developing lessons about it without uh, crossing lines or getting in trouble or putting their career at risk. And this is where school boards need to start doing trainings about this or being clear of what is acceptable and not acceptable to say, but also by letting students and teachers, but specifically students, develop their critical thinking because critical thinking is what makes students develop their own opinions and own the proper knowledge like they own what they've learned basically yeah because because it, it, it comes from them and the teacher is from the, the way i see it the teacher is facilitating this the teacher's not saying hey this is my opinion and you should believe this too but it's it's this role of facilitating discussion so the point really actually of our, our conversation, um, not just to talk about critical pedagogy in general, but um, really within the context of Quebec, how would you characterize the Quebec education system? I can be honest on here. Our education system is old. It's not modern. It's somewhat still, and I'm not just talking about English, I'm talking about history. Uh, somewhat still discriminatory and racist, and uh, specifically if you look into the history, although they do modify it here and there. And our education system in Quebec doesn't go to the level of the student. What do you mean by this? I feel like we're really behind. That's the word. I feel like the education system is really behind, and that other countries are way ahead of us. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, when you like as a teacher and you travel and you see how the education system in other countries, you're just like, and people think that we're ahead of them, but really they're ahead of us. There's a lot that needs to be changed. 
what I'm getting here, if I'm thinking of an adjective, it's like this kind of rigidity. Yes. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Like, do you think it's something to do with our politics, by our social values? Me and my girls, we were talking about this the other day because of mm-hmm. a bunch of situations are happening uh, that we're watching on the news with Quebec right now, with Quebec news. Religion and politics influence, had such a huge impact in the province of Quebec mm-hmm. and in the culture of Quebec that it ended up influencing the education system in a bad way. So we were talking about uh, how it was a, like Quebec school, like everybody would go to a Catholic uh, school, uh, no matter what the religion was. So I mean, my family was Jewish and they went to Protestant schools. Exactly. So they, they would basically put you uh, in a religious school. But then afterwards, it, all, it got removed. And there's and no more religion schools. Yeah, yeah, it's all private. Whoever wants to put their child in private religion schools, they can. But religion was such a crucial thing in the Quebec culture that mm-hmm. afterwards when they revoked it and they, they didn't want it anymore and they got rid of it, they ended up hating religion so much. That's my personal opinion. Or having like this resentment because we're constantly forced uh, to pick and choose when it's no one's business, which is fully fine. They have the right. But the thing is, afterwards, because of that, they end up throughout the years having these uh, political opinions of, hey, because we went through that, let's save everybody that's from another religion. And it's like, oh, okay, what do you want to do? Oh, hey, let's put a law like Bill 21 and get rid of all religious symbols so that we can free everybody so they can feel free at work, but not free at home. And it's like, but who told you we're not free, right? So example for me, I am a Muslim woman. I wear a religious symbol. I wear the hijab, right? And I unfortunately am affected by Bill 21 and many other people that I know, whether they're Sikh, whether they're Jewish, whether they are Christian, or whether they're Muslim, they're all affected by this law. So I feel like politics and religion did have a huge influence on the education system. Maybe not towards the students, because the students have the right to wear their religious symbols. But how about the teachers? That's who they are, right? We keep telling teachers to be real and to be who they are in front of their students. But then it's like, but I don't want you to wear a religious symbol. Yeah, but that's me. That's who I am. But no, that's not how who you are. That's what the government says. Take it off, because who you are is what we are which is people with no religious symbol. Okay, you're, you're saying a lot here. Okay, so we need to, we need to like <laughs> get at this like piece by piece. Um, so I think really what, what the audience should understand really is that Quebec was a deeply, deeply religious society. And this obviously influenced the education system here. And then basically in the 60s, we had our quiet revolution where our societal values changed radically and we basically adopted secularism. So I think there's a real, like, uh, I don't want to say militant, but this very intense resentment, secularism, yeah. but it's like resentment towards all of that. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's not a chill secularism, let's just say. <laughs> like, it's, no, no. you know, this is, this is like a, a very intense value I find here. And that I think has kind of made its way into the the modern education system. Um, and then the other thing I think, and please tell me, you know, just relating to Tessel, tell me if you agree, um, is also just the fact that there's, we have a history of tension between English, Anglophones and Francophones, between the English Absolutely. speech community and the French speech community, right? Because historically, the way it was here, you have a French majority and an English minority, and then the English minority controlled all the finances. Like they were the richest, they lived at the top of the mountain. So mm-hmm. there was this, there's this kind of deep, 
resentment there, I think, just towards English and towards English speech communities. And there's this, it's not just a resentment, I should say, perhaps a feeling of, of being threatened, like this is, this is something that we should really be careful of. And we should, we don't want this to basically take over, right? Absolutely. Like, uh, it's it's as if the government of Quebec thinks that they're like, we're going to go through colonialism all over again. And that this time, like, the English are going to win and they're going to take over Quebec and it's going to be the dominant uh, language. But no, that's not how it works. What What's wrong with this whole thing is the fact that no one is willing to accept the fact that Quebec really is a bilingual province. It really is. Some I know some people who live here in Quebec that don't know how to speak French or they do speak both or they speak French, but it's a bit broken. Like it's not the best of French, but it's still the person still can get a job at a very good corporate company. You know, the problem is politics and religion. But specifically in this situation, mm-hmm. when government discusses too much about politics, what should happen in a school board or a centre de service when it comes concerning politics and religion? It creates tension, like it creates tension within the schools. And I think that government are not, uh, our government is not paying attention to that. And they're not taking us into consideration, the teachers or anyone that works in a public sector, because they address these topics. And obviously some people agree with them and some people disagree with them because that's how politics and religion works, right? But it creates this tension at work where it shouldn't be. Like at work, we're not supposed to be talking about politics and religion. Technically, that's what they say. It, unfortunately, whoever is with the government on stuff that's discriminatory or racist creates this tension for other employees who are against those types of ideologies and make someone comfortable at work. Why is it right for other people to be comfortable at work and not me? I think that we mix too much politics uh, when it comes to teaching. And yes, it's great to get the students to think about it. But I think that when it comes to political laws being implemented and affecting teachers' well-being, I think that's when it's wrong. And that's not critical pedagogy. Because critical pedagogy is about, hey, let's talk about these issues. Why is it right? Why is it wrong? Let's find a solution. Let's find a middle point or a middle ground in order for us to get both of us to be happy and okay with it. It's about listening to each other and being understanding over one another with no judgment. The the other thing about um, Quebec society that I think the teacher definitely has to consider um, if they if they want to be a critical pedagogue here is just that we live in an extreme, especially here in Montreal and the surrounding area, extremely multicultural and multilingual. Right? I mean, in your classrooms, it's rarely ever going to be homogenous. Right? There are going to be so Absolutely. many different viewpoints people coming from so many different places. I agree. I I teach in a high school and my <laughs> my classroom is literally a melting pot. It's people from all types of backgrounds from anywhere around the world. Literally, I have it and I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful. And I think that when they get to talk about their culture and what they do and uh, their struggles coming from a specific country, but being born and raised here or coming from an immigrant family makes other students who aren't from there understand them and learn from them and uh, just educating themselves on something else but Mm -hmm. uh, also I feel like someone who wants to apply critical pedagogy um, as an adult and also as a teacher expect a lot of backlash from other teachers there's things that I teach that other teachers will be like why are you teaching like the way that you're doing it is great like because I'm evaluating all the competencies but it's like why are you talking about this I'm like, because it matters. It's important to them. They want to know these things. Like like what kind of things? For for example, I 
I'm very even during my internship, I did this on my last internship uh, to graduate. Um, for me, Black History Month is extremely important, but I don't just do Black History Month during February. I do it throughout the year as well because it's it's uh, not only political, but it's it's a very important topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's so many top like mm-hmm. little small topics within it. Mm-hmm. So I go a lot deeper in it, but there's a teacher, for example, that came up to me and was like, why are you teaching this? And uh, I was like, because it's something that is very important for us to all of us learn how to coexist and to remove these biases in our heads and uh, stereotypes. Mm-hmm. She goes and she tells me, yeah, but like, I don't feel like it's our place to, to teach these, uh, these students these things. I think their parents should do it. But it's like, but how about like their parents aren't maybe aware of this or educated on this? So mm-hmm. why not just us do it? But you will get backlash from this situation. Like you will get negative comments sometimes because not everyone likes to talk about social issues that are happening. Why? Because it hits them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because teachers sometimes will realize, oh my, I'm like that. Maybe there's something wrong with me as well. Like I shouldn't be thinking this way or uh, approaching these things that way. So it hits them. It hits back home, right? Do you think that perhaps those kinds of viewpoints actually have institutional and political support? I mean, because if we think about it, like with Bill 21, right? Bill 21, by the way, this is a bill that basically prohibits, and it's very, it's actually quite vague. Like I really tried to do a lot of research into this bill to see precisely what they were talking about. And it's actually quite difficult. To, but basically, the bill says you cannot wear religious articles of clothing. You cannot show overt signs of your religion. You can't wear this if you're a public servant. And of course, being a teacher falls under this category. So what that means is you cannot wear, for example, uh, like if you're Jewish, you cannot wear a kippah. Um, if you are Muslim, you cannot wear a hijab. You cannot wear a massive cross, I guess, like as many people do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, but you can have it tattooed. It's okay. <laughs> oh, can you? Well, see, this is the yeah, thing. Like, so, so when you talk about like you're going to come up, you know, you might come up against resistance. I also wonder if this resistance is supported in a way by the uh, political climate. Absolutely. Listen, racism is everywhere. And you'd be surprised how it's very strong in the education system. In, in the classrooms, those teachers, some of them. So when your child comes to you, mom and dad, and tells you, hey, uh, my teacher is racist, sometimes it's true. Try to find out what the situation is because you'd be surprised at how many racist colleagues I've had wearing my hijab. You'd be very surprised. It's like, And the thing is, is that because they have a government that supports their point of views, or they support our government's of our government's point of views. They feel like they have the right to just put random comments, ignorant comments towards you when you're working. And it's like you think that I'm not going to talk back, but the thing is when you do talk back, which is what I do, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut clearly, but <laughs> when I do talk back and I let them know like hey, your comment was actually very ignorant, it's not right. They will apologize for it or they'll be like no like that's how I think like I'm sorry if I offended you but that's what I think and you're like whatever you move on with your life but the thing is that's not the issue the issue is the fact that because of our government these teachers who are ignorant feel like they are comfortable basically saying these comments towards you because they know that the government is backing them up and who owns the schools and who is supporting these schools the public schools specifically it's our government so if there's going to be ever a case or anything, they're going to be fine. So it's the minorities that aren't going to be fine. You know, and another thing, I mean, it's also, it's not just Bill 21, but another thing is that um, 
we, we talked about this a little bit before the interview, but of course, you know, here in Quebec, as we were saying, there is a history of tension between um, English and French, right? You know, because historically, you have um, an English minority that would hold more power over a French majority. And so now, and I mean, I, I don't know if Bill um, 101 was the first, but basically we have a succession of bills that are meant to bolster the French language and culture and society. Um, and then there are also, of course, these bills, and these bills affect the education system, you know, like how much English can be taught in schools, how many classes should be in English. You know, a very recent one is Bill 96 that amongst many things that are written in this bill, one of them is about limiting uh, admission to English CGEPs, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think also just as the ESL teacher, this is also something to to be aware of. And it's something, it's a challenge to navigate, which is perhaps feeling like the subject that you teach is kind of treated a little bit like wildfire, you know, like there's something a little bit dangerous about it and it has to be controlled. We honestly, I can, on behalf of all English teachers, I think we all feel that way. But it's not just that. I think... Um, Unfortunately, these laws that are being applied towards the English language creates this us versus them feeling. And it's been going on since I was young. I moved back and forth, back and forth from one province to another. And uh, I've always felt that each time I came back to Quebec. I think what's really the issue is that creating this us versus them feeling mm -hmm. makes teachers simply not appreciated. Because after you have François de Gaulle going on a radio interview saying that English, English, the English language in Quebec is not taught well, but it's like we do teach it well, first of all, and we teach it well within the circumstances that you put us through. The fact that a teacher is so excited of the fact that she has a closet as an office for the whole year is ridiculous. And that's if she's even blessed to have that closet as a, as a, as an office. Most of the time teachers have a trolley that they bought and run from one class to another. The circumstances that teachers are teaching in is horrendous. It's not comfortable for them. They try, they spend so much of their own money to make students comfortable. And for a government to go, just go and not only say that we don't teach well, mm -hmm. it's unacceptable. And to put laws for students to not be able to want to continue and love the English language by saying, Oh, no, you can't go to English college. I just, I just think that's just not right it's like we shouldn't have an impact on what students should do or not when it comes to to their future talking about a lot of negative elements of quebec society that that that, that the critical pedagogy should definitely consider <laughs> that the esl teachers should definitely consider um but then do you think there are any positives about our society anything that's that's very positive that is conducive to practicing critical pedagogy oh my god you're shaking your head you must it's gotta be something, gotta be something <laughs> honestly there's so much going on right now that i'm just like what is there that's positive i'm not against us learning french because i speak french fluently it's actually my my second language but right now there's so much crap going on unfortunately there's so many things there's so many things that are going on right now that I don't even know what positive to say. No, but the Ugh. truth is, this is but what you're saying. And I mean, this, these emotions yeah. that you're conveying, like this is very, very real. And I think it really does need to be heard. Like, uh, I'll be honest with you. I remember when I was, um, I spent some time in Mexico. I was studying there for a bit in university. And I was in a class all about bilingualism. And I remember um, the teacher would frequently use Montreal as like this beacon, um, this like perfect example. And I remember being flabbergasted. I was like, Oh my God, 
you don't even know. You have no idea. <laughs> you don't know. We got a lot of issues that we're trying to work through. Like, you know, so um, so I think I think it needs to be said. Like, I don't really want to sugarcoat things, you know? Absolutely. But we have so many issues on things that don't matter. What's wrong with just being a bilingual province? Like, what's why is it okay to hate English so much? It's not like people hate French so much. Like, and even if they do, it's like they're going to keep it to themselves. They're not going to go and tell the new government. Let's say if we have liberals or we have a Quebec Solidarity, we're not going to go tell them, put a law that says that French is uh, banned. It's like, no, no. It comes out of fear. Like, I will say, I, I, I do get it, though. Like, I, I do get it. You know, if you are afraid that your language and your culture is about to be drowned out, I can totally see supporting laws that are aimed that from your view are not so much to put down English, but to uplift French. I see that. But then I think there is a negative consequence there where you basically yeah. create this tension. But I also think that we need to take other people's opinions and lifestyle into consideration. So let's mm -hmm. go back to the ban of religious symbols, Bill 21. Mm -hmm. Yes, Back in the day, people were, religion was so shoved to, to, to their faces. But it's like, that was back then. Mm -hmm. But it's like, now we're in 2021, we're fine. Like people, like Muslims, Jews, Christians, Sikhs, we're like, we're all good. Like, yes, we all have our obstacles that we face, but no one's oppressed. No one is, at the moment, anyway, the, what, what I'm aware of, no one is oppressed. Like, I think what I'm trying to say is because of history, concerning um, religion being forced, they shouldn't take that as an example to try to save, quote unquote, uh, people who do wear religious symbols now. They're not living back in the day. They're living now and they chose to do it. And I think that is just wrong to have a law that is forbidding people to wear their religious symbols, thinking that it's forced, like having these preconceived notions of you are forced to wear this religious symbol and you, we need to save you. It's like, I don't need to be saved. If I wanted to take off my religious symbol, I would have done it on my own without your law. But I don't want to remove my religious symbol. I do want to wear it because I believe in it. And even if I didn't believe in it and I have it on, it's none of your business. This is the part where we sometimes I feel like our government forgets that you're hitting people's integrity. And it's an uncomfortable situation to be in. And it's discriminatory and racist. I'm personally Muslim. I do wear the hijab. I went through the whole Bill 21 situation. I was hit hard by it but yeah I, I'm very thankful for where I'm from and what I what, what's my background because I never knew how blessed I am from how I look like to my struggles to where I'm from until I became a teacher I I, I, I I'm, I'm a firm believer that your struggles and your obstacles make you who you are but when I started teaching I really understood why I went through all of that because the second I enter a classroom, I'm not going to say students immediately connect with me, but they immediately feel comfortable talking to me. Yes, my personality may play a role because I am very social and I do connect with students quickly, but they immediately feel this comfort that, hey, she looks like us. Oh, hey, she comes from this country. Or, hey, she grew up with people from where I'm from. So it makes students connect more. And in in Quebec, there's this issue of only hiring people who look like us, or we're going to hire someone that is different or from a marginalized community, but we're not going to make them feel welcome. We're going to make them feel cornered. And if a teacher uh, has an accent when they speak English, yet they're the most, like they're the smartest person ever. A teacher 
a teacher has an accent because they immigrated from another country, but this person has a PhD and um, is extremely knowledgeable and has teaching experience um, and is from another country, like a foreign country. And it's all teachers who are from either the same race or from all of them are from Montreal. They're not going to make that teacher feel welcome. Why? Because that teacher has an accent. It's preconceived notions that we have that we need to clear up and to stop and make people feel welcome. I can tell you, you know, like I talked to to make this episode, you know, I talked to a few people like to get their takes about this in the planning of this episode. You know, initially, I was thinking maybe I'll put in some like various sound bites. People are very uncomfortable sharing their stories. Maybe there are some listeners who are wondering, hey, I want some concrete examples of things of actual teachers. People I'm not even if they're anonymous, are really uncomfortable sharing. Because especially if they're novice teachers, they really do feel like their jobs are on the line, which is... Uh, it's sad, but it's also that means our environment did not make it safe for us to speak about it. Paint me a picture. What, what do you want to see? Look, you're starting off in the field. What do you want to see in the future? Some, some like legit concrete things you want to see in the future in the education system here in Quebec? That is a good question. What I would want to see is really, and I think a lot of teachers would agree with this, but um, increase in funding for the education system. Mm -hmm. It's not normal that we went through a global pandemic and had to get, and I've worked at three schools during COVID, had to get a janitor to break down windows so we can open for ventilation because the government asked that windows are stay open through winter, summer, it's not normal for us to have ventilation and have to break a window in order for us to have ventilation on the second floor. I don't think that's normal. Um, So definitely increase in funding, Mm -hmm. uh, prioritize really the education system. I know that's a lot to ask, but apparently it's a lot. To be honest, it's only fair, but apparently it's a lot. And really, I really, 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 really hope this happens. And this is something that even I am willing, whoever is listening, to help develop this. A training or a course that teachers have to take yearly of how to develop critical pedagogy lessons or even courses on diversity in order for teachers to know, even if they do, like even I would take it and I consider myself very open-minded and knowledgeable about many communities. Obviously, there's just so much more to learn, but I would still take it, which mm-hmm. is really like a course on diversity and diversity in the classroom and how to teach students from specific backgrounds what is considered offensive and not offensive what you say I feel like teachers have given up because they feel like there's so much new content out there that they don't even know what to talk about so they just stick to their own stories Mm -hmm. and not even want to address anything and the last thing is really for schools that are underprivileged and I've got the opportunity to work at underprivileged schools for the funding to be used properly Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. that goes back to principles. I'm not sure. But for funding to be used properly in underprivileged schools in order for them to get the rankings up and mm-hmm. to make teachers feel that they're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Because so many teachers who work in underprivileged schools just ha- are not giving their 100% because they're like, eh, it's the underprivileged schools. Why not? I don't care. Students are not going to go to college anyway. What are you talking about? Students will go to college if you actually work for it. If you actually make them feel that they want. I worked at a, um, for four months, I worked at a, uh, four or five months, I worked at an underprivileged school and my students all had, uh, were all said that they weren't going to go to college. 
And even the main teacher was saying, ah, they're not going to go to college anyway. It's June now. Mm -hmm. And I have received emails from half of my students saying, hey, miss, I got accepted at this college. I got accepted at this college and this college. So it's really like heartwarming and it's, it's awesome. So I think there's so much that That's our education amazing. system needs to improve on. I hope within a few years or within a few months even, that's mm-hmm. a dream, that Bill 21 is not a law. Right. That Bill 21 yeah. is not a thing. That teachers are not criticized by how they look like or their gender or anything in order for them to be able to work in the public sector. Because it hits me so much and I talk about it so much and I just graduated with so many obstacles, but yeah, like that's I kind know. of that's like almost I don't know. I feel like that's the exemplar for goodness sakes. Like the fact that that is a law that we have here. What? Yeah. The heck? Yeah, I know. Imagine you know? going through it. It's the uh, <sighs> it's insane. But you know what? When you create amazing rapport with your students and you're constantly indirectly or directly using critical pedagogy in your teaching, your students will constantly care about you contact you and have your back even throughout teaching even when you're their teacher if anyone talks bad about you they have your back so again rapport and critical pedagogy that's the key to having a great teaching career i mean and with that you know i think those are very good kind of summative final words here amani thank you so so much for joining me again and for sharing your passion your enthusiasm your knowledge um your perspective you know, this is what we want. Thank you so much. So really, thank you for thank having you. me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you actually wanting to hear a story and also for letting me talk about something I'm extremely passionate about, which is critical pedagogy. The Talking Tessel podcast is a feature of Concordia University's Tessel Resource Center. To join our Tesla community, or if you have thoughts about the episode, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.concordia.ca forward slash Tesla, or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or LinkedIn. We have a wonderful mentorship program, tons of resources for ESL teachers, and of course, more episodes of Talking Tesla.